Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Superman. A strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinary who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. Yes, it's Superman. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. Uh, today, we are continuing our coverage of the uh, Superboy and Legion of Superheroes storyline that we are crossing over with Back to the Bins. Uh, and across the dial, I have got my partner, Brian Hughes. Oh, yeah. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> we have Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Hey, you stole my line. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I steal from the best. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have Paul Spataro. How are you doing? Oh, he's least. He's least. If I had a good comeback, I'd give it right now, but I got nothing. He's <laughs> got nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Well, uh, well we got... Wits with an unarmed opponent. Gotta say, you know, before you listen any further, if you've not listened to the first two parts of this show, you need to go back and check those out first because we covered, um, let's see, Legion of Superheroes. Is that was that 37? 37. Uh, Legion of Superheroes 37 on Back to the Bins, uh, Superman number eight on uh, The Last Third Degree Burn. And tonight we'll be covering Action Comics 591. And uh, later on, back to the bins, we'll be covering Legion of Superheroes number 38. So uh, you yes. need to get all these in order and listen to them in order, because otherwise you're going to be really, really confused. And then Scott's going to come over to your house with a baseball bat and beat your skull in. <laughs> and that's not fun. Wiffle ball bat. Wiffle ball bat. There you go. Yeah, my my <laughs> father-in-law, he hasn't recovered yet. Well, he's got a stutter, you know. Anyway, uh <laughs> So uh, we're, we're going to get right into this so that we can just dig into it, because I know that uh, all of us have a lot we want to talk about, and Scott is not going to turn off the filter this time. He's just going to keep on going, which I don't <laughs> mind. I want to hear this. I want to hear what he has to say. Uh, so let me go ahead and give you the particulars on this particular issue. Action Comics number 591, pub published by DC Comics. Uh, cover date of August 1987. The on-sale date was May 26th, 1987. It had a cover price of 75 cents and a page count of 32. The story title is Past Imperfect, Writer, Penciler, and Figure Inks by John L. Byrne. The anchor for the background inks was Keith Williams. 
letter John Costanza, colorist Thomas J. Zuko, and of course editing editing is Andy Helfer. Now was uh, Dick Giordano the um, editor in chief at that time, or was that did he move on at that point? I don't know. I don't see that anywhere here. Uh, I've got a synopsis here, but before I get into the synopsis, I wanted to look at um, August of 1987, which I think we did last time. It's the same month that Superman number eight was printed. And so you had Action Comics 91, 591, Marvel Tales 202, which is a reprint of the Murder World story. Uh, and then the last of the Viking Heroes, number three from 1987. I have not seen that. And then Who's Who Update 1987, number one, All-Star Squadron to Catalyst, which Byrne did some various surprint art for. Any of you remember that? I was always more of a fan of Ohatmu Deluxe than um, the DC's Who's Who. For some reason, I think that the Ohatmu gave a better description than the others. Yeah, I, I'll give you that. I, I think that somehow the the write-ups were better, but where Who's Who had the advantage in my mind was the art. Um, I liked that they, you know, the different artists that they got. I liked the different depictions that they had because uh, Ohatmu, for for all its awesomeness, the art for the for each character was kind of bland because if a memory serves, you just got like a shot of them head on and then like a side shot, wasn't it? Something like that. Well, it was almost like, like, uh, like a police would, blotter type of thing, you know, you would get an image of them that was drawn specifically for the book. And it would just be uh, some plain kind of, uh, almost like a mug shot or a full character shot. And then, you know, if they had room, if they had space, they would put in, different images from various books. And of course, the Hotmu Deluxe, the second edition, was very Byrne-centric, where it seemed like if they had a Burn, a John Byrne image, they would throw that in there to, to show that. If they had Kirby, okay, if they yeah. had Perez, you know, they, they had I the big guys. Yeah, they yeah. would throw those in there. Whereas the Who's Who, all the art done for the Who's Who was, was pretty much original uh, art done for the Surprint. And then right. you'd have like a, a maybe a bigger image of them in it. I've never been a big fan, fan of the Serpent. I like the, the actual full colored images, but that's just me. I think what Scott you're thinking about is that last, I guess it'd be volume three of Ohatmu came out. There were single sheets that you could put in a binder, and they had like a front, oh. side, and back, and it had it had not much of a, a write up, but it had like their power levels, you know, where they first appeared if they died, that kind of thing. So it wasn't as much information, right. but you got a, it was more like a character sheet that you'd see that artists would go by. Right. I really liked Ohatmu too with, with the, their book of the dead, because not only did it give the full write up on them, but it also had the image of their death. It's like, you got to see how Drax, the destroyer died or Sharon Carter or, or, you know, whatever they would always. And of course, any one of the, the guys that got killed by the scourge, they had plenty of those, which uh, was, was um, just, Hilarious, especially all those that died in the bar. <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving on, I guess what I'll do next is give us the synopsis. Now, I actually pulled this synopsis, sorry, Scott, from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And I was surprised to find that there. He didn't doesn't typically have synopses on, the, uh, on, on those that, that I noticed. Um, so here we go. 
The pocket universe Superboy has frozen Superman and the Legion with a stasis beam. He then puts the Legion back in the time bubble, time bubble, intending to take them back to the time trapper whom he secretly serves. The stasis beam wears off of Superman. He grabs Superboy's boot as he's entering the time stream and is transported to the Smallville of the pocket universe. Pete Ross finds Superman and believes that it is Superboy under the influence of red kryptonite. He takes him to the Kent home where Superboy is waiting. A fight ensues between Superman and Superboy, but the Man of Steel senses that Superboy is holding back. Crypto enters the fight and assumes that Superman is an escapee from the Phantom Zone. He retrieves gold kryptonite from Superboy's workshop, intending to expose Superman to it. Instead, Crypto is turned into an ordinary dog without superintelligence. Jonathan Kent finds the gold K and deduces Crypto's plan. He then exposes Superman to several forms of kryptonite, but they have no effect. Superboy then gives up the fight. Superman then deduces Superboy intended to lose and intentionally brought them to Smallville. Superboy then frees the Legion, and after dropping Superman off his own time and space, the Boy of Steel and Legion leave to confront the Time Trapper. That's not 100% correct, is it? Because Crypto purposely exposed himself to the yeah, gold KD. He, he knows it's going to happen, but he, Correct. he figures it yeah. was worth it. Yep, yep, yep. Correct. Still, it was concise. It was right to the yeah. point. Not, yeah. uh, not very verbose. But the story itself was uh, was very interesting. And, of course, probably visually, this is one of the more uh, interesting books in, in, in the run. Uh, seeing as you get, you know, the, the, the Superman and Superboy battles. But there are other imagery. There was other imagery in there that I thought that was just really, really cool. Um, specifically, the the scene of Superman trying to he grabs onto Superboy's boot as uh, Superboy's trying to move through time, and the look on Superman's face is like Roger Moore in Moonraker when he's in that <laughs> G Force simulator. And of course, all the I years love that shot. By. Yeah, that, I, that, I really love yeah. that shot. Yeah, well, it definitely shows like agony. <clears throat> I don't how much I've, he's struggling. Yeah, I've never, I've never been able to tell you why, but that has always reminded me of Golden Age Superman, uh, and I and I don't know why, but there's just something about it that that looks like that that version of Superman to me for just a moment there, and I really like it. Maybe it's the squinted eyes. I don't know, but. Well, with the squinted eyes eye. and, and, the, and his face, it, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of what George Perez and Jerry Ordway did in with the Golden Age Superman in Crisis in that very last right. issue. So it, it, it kind of makes me think of that. And, of course, with Superman from that image, it makes him look bulkier and even you know bigger, almost barrel-chested. That's one of the things I like about the Ordinance is, you know, you see a easily detectable contrast between Superboy and Superman. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't say I, I studied it for this purpose, but I don't think there was ever a point as I was looking through it where I saw an image and didn't know exactly which one it was. Right. Exactly. That's, 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 you know, that's not an easy feat because a lot of people have a tough time drawing Superboy to look like a teenager. You know, a lot of a lot of the artists tend to draw him just as a smaller version of Superman, and if you do that in a book like this, and then you know you have an, an image which is just showing one and not the other, you're not going to know which one it is. <clears throat> but I, I I think he did a good job of, of distinguishing between the two. Yeah, you can look at this the front cover because you get a, a clear shot of both their faces, and 
It looks like he's drawn Superboy a little, little, not as, you know, he's not as weighty. He's a little slimmer. And his face yeah. is just a little softer, more round. And that does a great job yeah. of showing him as being, you know, 10 or 12 years younger. Um, well, I thought that um, the, the Superboy on the inside of the book, his S was more like the, the Golden Age S rather than... Um, Obviously, it's not like the burn version of the of the Superman S. In that in that first panel on uh, second page, as Superboy is coming down, you look at that S, and it's it's quite different from uh, the burn S. Yeah, it's it's much more. It's, it's filling the red is filling the space much more. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know for sure that you know that burn was doing this but i've i've long suspected that he was channeling other artists in his depiction of superboy because as he lands in that panel that you're talking about mm-hmm. um that reminds me very strongly of older uh superman and superboy stories it, it looks very um wayne boring to me and then there's some other uh instances here where I think he's channeling both Kurt Swan uh, and Wayne Boring in his depiction of uh, of Superboy, and I like that. It's very subtle. Um, you know, he's not copying anything or swiping anything. I, I, I see it more of as as an homage, but subtle differences uh, in the characters. So not only is he a younger Superman that looks distinct as a young person and not just as Paul said, a a small Superman. Um, but he's different. And I like that because there's a a piece of dialogue that I've always found a little bit baffling here. Uh, again, it's on page two, uh, second panel where Superboy is studying Superman after he's frozen him with the stasis beam. And he says, you are not the Superman I'll grow up to become. That's obvious. And I've always wondered, well, what's so obvious about it? What is what is he seeing that's cluing him in that this is not the person he's going to grow up to be? And I've always wondered about that because their costumes are different. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I wonder what he sees as being all that different between them. Is it, you know, is it something physiological? Is it, you know, what what is he actually I'm, I'm seeing? I'm wondering if he's actually just playing the role there. It could be that, yeah. You know, because because you know, as, as the book goes on, as the issue goes on, we learn that you know, he 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 was kind of throwing the fight all along, uh, because you know he he truly is a, a hero, uh, but I so I, I kind of took it that way. But that specific panel that you're talking about, I was just looking at that in our discussion of the comparison between Superman and Superboy, and I really like, you know, we we got two fairly close-ups of the faces there and you could see the distinction there and it almost looks like a, an older brother and a younger brother mm-hmm. yeah exactly. right so I, I think you know again i think it's a it's a good example of you know the distinction he made between the two that they don't look exactly alike but you could still tell that they're you know so similar yeah i always thought when he was <clears throat> looking at him you know, because we're jumping ahead though but when superman exam is is examining the kryptonite and he can tell by the structure or something that it's not his kryptonite. I thought maybe Superboy could is using his supervision to you know look at him maybe on a on a cellular level and know that he's not from quote his universe. Right. And and as far as influence from other artists goes, if you notice when when Pete Ross and Superman are walking down the street, and I think it's on like page ten, that they go past uh, Forte Apartments and Paps Hardware. 
which is an homage to right. John Forte and George Papp, who were classic artists on, on Legion and Superboy. So let Absolutely. me just ask, uh, just so that I can understand what I'm reading totally, because I'm not always that bright. Uh, so this Superboy was actually created by the Time Trapper, and he's almost like the Heroes Reborn version of the Marvel heroes. Is that accurate? Um, yes. The pocket, yeah, the Pocket Universe right here just you know has the Superboy so that he could go back and join the Legion. So, so, but it's not, in theory, it's not the Superboy we read about before Crisis. No. Yes. Well, it um, is. Well, I'd so, say yes and no, but it's like a point of divergence. Yeah, it, this is their way of explaining it, it's, right? It, yeah, it's complicated because it's... I know it's, it is. <laughs> it's yes and it's no. Um, it's funny because this is immediately and i mean by immediately i mean in the next chapter we're going to look at um it's immediately contradicted and you know i also I, I will say contradicted slash retconned um because the way i've always remembered this story and i think it was a a conscious choosing to remember this story the way i've always remembered it is that this is the pre-crisis superboys reality that somehow the time trapper was able to stave off the effects of crisis on infinite earths long enough for for you know the things that develop over the course of the story that's kind of what it becomes but if you're if you read burns explanation in this issue that's that's not the case at all he he talks about how basically he reached back in time the first time the legion went to travel to the past to try to recruit uh who they thought uh you know a character they thought had existed called superboy which was just a muddling of the legend of superman that never actually existed the time trappers seized on that idea and went back in time and basically created an offshoot of reality, an alternate reality where he was able to manipulate events to where he was actually able to essentially bring into being uh, the Superboy that the Legion was looking for. That's incredibly complicated and frankly kind of stupid. So I really like that that's immediately retconned by Levitz yeah. in the next chapter to where, no, this is pretty much just the pre-crisis Superboy and, and the Time Trapper found a way to save it for the moment. Well, that was what confused me because I thought that, as you said, Scott, it was he had created, there were just, there were apparently in this universe, there was the Earth and there was Krypton. And that's how you got, um, you know, Clark to come to Earth, become Superboy, you know, and eventually become Superman. But does that also explain that crypto came? Because obviously crypto was in this world, so the crypto right. uh, come from Krypton, and what burn later, when later and hit when he ends his run on Superman, and he has Superman go back to this Earth, and he um, faces the the Phantom Zone villains. Right. The reason why they were able to just you know conquer the Earth was because there were no other superheroes, you know, Superman, right. Superboy. So if if we're to believe that the pre-crisis or, or the Superboy stories that took place before they wrote Crisis were this the reality, I'm, assume, I'm assuming in those stories he met other superheroes, correct? 
No, he did. did I don't he? think uh, so. I mean, not in this, not in this world. Yeah, we're kind of spoiling. We're kind of spoiling ahead, but it, yeah. it, essentially, there, therein lies the rub: is that if this is the the pre crisis Superboy, you know, uh, of the comics and everything, then essentially, um, it, it's the same one to a point. Um, at some point, and we're going to see exactly where that point is. There, there's a break that. It, 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 to me, it's cool because it plays with an idea I had as a kid, which was, you know, DC is simultaneously publishing the adventures of Superman and they're simultaneously publishing the adventures of Superman when he was a boy, you know, Superboy. Mm -hmm. And those stories very seldom meshed up with or played off of each other. Sometimes they did. And when they did, it was really wonderful. But very seldom did they actually do that. They were basically, for all intents and purposes, two completely distinct characters that just happened to share a hell of a lot of the same history. But we never really got, well, I'm, we sort of did and we sort of didn't. We never really got that transition period. Like Superboy, we never saw him grow up to become Superman. He he just was eternally Superboy in his title. And you would occasionally get something like the secret years, you know, that, that, that bridged the years, you know, between him being Superboy and becoming Superman, you know, as a, as a limited series or something like that. But for all intents and purposes, they were kind of two different characters. This story is neat to me in that aspect of it's kind of playing with that, whether intentionally or not, it's kind of playing with that idea that they are two completely distinct characters because of what happens to Superboy in this story. Um, he's never going to become that character now. And that's tragic, but it's also kind of cool that, that they're playing with that idea. Um, I also find it uh, very interesting on kind of a, a meta level because, you know, in recent years, there has been, you know, those litigations and court battles with DC Comics from the Siegel family uh, over the rights to this character of Superboy. And it's my understanding, and I could be completely wrong about this, but my understanding of how that all ended up shaking out was essentially it was ruled that Superboy is a distinct and unique character that was created by Jerry Siegel. Uh, apart and away from Superman himself, that they are two distinct characters. That's kind of cool. So now you've got, you know, in the comics, this happening, and in reality, it happened as well to where, uh, you know, Superboy and Superman are two completely different characters. And I, and I like that. That's kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's fun to kind of play with that idea. And that's, that's one of the things that fascinates me about this particular story is, is the places it goes. And, you know, the big concepts that it's playing with. Unfortunately, um, we'll talk more about this in the next chapter, but it leaves a lot of, it, it's kind of like the crisis itself. It, you know, for the moment, it seems like it solves a lot of issues with doing this story, with, with making uh, the post-crisis legion, which now shouldn't exist or at least not exist for the same reasons, um, still have a tie to Superman through Superboy because they found a way to kind of, for the moment, keep Superboy around, even though it's now post-crisis and Superman never was Superboy. It, it solves that problem. 
except that it doesn't. And it creates a ton more problems, which we'll talk about after the next chapter. So, See, I, I understand totally you know, your perspective on that uh, the characters were portrayed differently and therefore you could distinguish between them. But I have a serious issue with them, with there being a court ruling that they're two distinct characters and you give a creator credit to that. Because, you know, if I decided tomorrow I was going to write the adventures of Luke Skywalker when he was a baby, uh, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, that's a different character. <laughs> you know, they're going to say, you know, that's copyright infringement and, you know, you're, you're stealing their intellectual property. Uh, so I, I, I kind of, you know, from a, from a storytelling point of view, I'm right there with you. But from a legal perspective, it makes no sense to me at all. Well, it does and it doesn't to me in the sense that Superboy, yes, he shares many of the same elements as Superman. Clearly, they they share the same basic origin. They have have the same name. They came from the same planet. They grew up in the same place. They have the same parents. Oh, and their DNA is the same. <laughs> but I, you know, but I I'm think, sorry, it's the same character. It's just him when he was younger. I, think, I understand from a storytelling right, point think, of view. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm talking about legally. Right, how, right. how do you distinguish between them? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how the ruling came about. But my understanding was is that somebody was able to make the case enough that the way the character was presented in in the world that he operated in in his book, you know, living in Smallville being the the hometown champion living with you know living parents the kents who you got to remember they were dead in the pre-crisis universe for superman you know he he didn't have parents anymore um and the cast of characters that he had you know pete ross lana lang you know the you know all of that chief parker was completely different or different enough i guess for the judge i don't know from superman who was an adult and didn't have parents and had you know lois and jimmy and perry and had you know different villains and so i I, i'm i mean i'm with you i i get it because there's there's a certain amount of it that baffles me too like how did they come about to that you know decision it doesn't bother me though in the aspect of you know what you said if if you just suddenly decided you were going to create you know young luke skywalker and and try to run with that and market that or whatever then yeah clearly that's that's copyright infringement and you're you're ripping off somebody else's creation it doesn't bother me in this instance because jerry siegel created both characters and jerry siegel and joe schuster no matter how you slice it they got screwed i, I mean they I just don't got screwed. that yeah i agree and with you there. so you know, so this this chalks up a win in you know in that category for Jerry Siegel, and you know for that reason alone, uh, I, I think you know it, it's okay with me because those guys deserved better than what they got. You know, yeah. they really. But if did. anybody was ever stupid enough, you know, to uh, appoint or elect me as a judge, that ruling would have been different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, where were we? <laughs> and just just to, to take you know continue on this story i've, I've this... been talking on mute for the last few minutes but i did have a question <laughs> when did that ruling come down that's got to be uh, a, at least 10 years ago because you know yeah. the thing that the thing is is that with superman you know for the first however many years it was always the adventures of superman and you you he didn't become superman until pa kent died and told him on his deathbed you know you need to be you know be, be there for the world 
I mean, that's that's Cliff Notes version, but that's the way it always was. And then all of a sudden, the stories of Superboy came out, and it completely rewrote all that. So I, I think so it's a retcon. A judge could sit there and look at that and say, "Well, that's that's your deviation," and and take it from there. I mean, again, right. you got to expect it, Paul. In deference to you, most people in 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 law don't really sit there and think about comic books or talk about comic books. So when you sit well, there and I tell do. them about retcons <laughs> and you tell them about you know the the prices on Infineros and you talk about origins, most judges and mm. most lawyers are just going to shut off. You would think the lawyers for DC, who are trying to retain the rights to the character, would be smart enough to say, let me, let me do a little research into this, and let me see how this developed, and let me see what the differences are between the two characters. I, I get the feeling, and I, do, I don't know anything. I never saw any briefs that were filed. I've never heard any arguments that were made on this. But I get the, imp- the distinct impression that the lawyers for Warner Brothers and DC were probably extremely arrogant in their approach and just said, well, it's obvious. And they didn't bother to to make a cogent argument as to why it's the same character. Meanwhile, the attorneys for Siegel were smart enough to say, well, here, I could distinguish between them, which is right. which honestly is first year law school learning is how to distinguish you know, from one thing to another. Um, so it's like, I, I can only think that the Warner Brothers attorneys dropped the ball. I really do. What the, the other and, and, and that's you run not into, to say, though. That's not to say that I don't agree with Scott that Siegel and and Schuster, you know, that, that they were screwed every step of the way, and that that they, you know, that this was a, a victory, uh, if nothing else, that you could sentimentally root for. Yeah, but l- l- let's put it another way. All right. Now, I, obviously, this happened ten years ago. None of these people were involved in it. But let's just say. That for the sake of, of, of DC and Warner Brothers, that you used as your expert witnesses, E. Nelson Bridwell, Bob Rosakis, and Dick Giordano. And if you ask the three of them about how this all lines up, are they going to even agree? Because the biggest problem that we had after Crisis is that nobody in the editorial staff could agree where anything or everything was. They didn't buy into it. Yeah, right. but, but they work for DC, and I think they're going to side with DC because they want to, you know keep their jobs yeah but but again if you're asked under oath you know where was this how was this each one of them is going to have their own opinion i don't know that those opinions are necessarily even relevant i think you present them with the history of the storytelling you know Mm -hmm. action comics number one here this is presented here Uh, i don't even remember what issue of what comic presented the first ever superboy story i think it was was in adventure comics more yeah. fun number one hundred and one, I think, something like okay. that. Okay, but you know, you you, you start going to it, and, and you can yeah. you can easily show the parallels, and and then you you could also put together, especially if this is an argument that's being made in the you know the nineties or the two thousands or whatever, you know, where you have a rich history of comics, you show where characters have changed over the years. You could take a character like Marvel's Captain Marvel and show how you know you had. Uh, you know the original green and white costume. Then you went to the the blue and red and gold costume, and then you went to you know Marvel's son. You know his his clone effectively becoming the character, and and that you know that, that you know you could even go to you know Monica Rambeau and everything and start saying, you know, characters change. They retain the rights to the name and the character by doing that. 
But you know, one lawyer is going to go, yeah, but which one of them says Shazam? Because they're not going to know the difference. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, right? I think I think it's, it's I, I just believe it would be less. Re- the, the opinions of individuals would be less relevant than the history that you could show of these characters. And, but, and I think and, you, you could show enough enough parallel between the two to say it is the same character. You know, when, when uh, you know, when, when we had Raiders of the Lost Ark and, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and then they decided to make a TV show, the young, you know, uh, Adventures young, of young Indiana, 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 you know, Jones. Young Indiana yeah. Jones Chronicles or whatever it was. I, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't considered to be a different character. No, no. And, and see, I, I see your point. I do. But I also know, like 10, 12 years ago, who are their expert witnesses? Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, you know, and, and are any, and again, are they going to be able to come to the same agreement on what's what? Especially when there is another Superboy out there wearing a leather jacket and who happens to be a clone of Superman Alex Luthor. But would you even need. And all of a sudden, you've changed it all over again. I would, I would argue that you don't even. That, that, there should be no expert testimony yes. because this is an opinion that that the general public can reach just on the evidence itself. It doesn't require expert training to put together a uh, a cogent opinion on the subject, and therefore the experts are irre- irrelevant. And I have seen that argument made in court on certain issues, and I've seen experts be precluded on trials because the judge says. That this is this is a matter that's within the abilities of a jury to decide, and and an expert testimony is just purely unnecessary. Well, I think you'd have to have it unbiased because they both work for DC. So that on that fact, I think they'd be dis- excluded. You'd have to have somebody that's more, uh, you know, that's, that's biased about it, so that they wouldn't or unbiased. Uh, and that bias, that bias could actually go both ways, because mm-hmm. they they could be biased because it's their employer and they want to. You know, curry favor with their employer, or they could be disgruntled. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the bias could go either way, but you know, I, I would argue that their their personal opinions on the subject don't matter. Yeah, it's like uh, having Roy Thomas and John Byrne discuss Marvel history. They're going to argue left and right all the way. Uh, it you know they don't agree on anything, and so what what Paul's saying is probably the most logical way of looking at it, and. Probably then what that does mean is that w, you know, Warner Brothers went in just a little too arrogant thinking that they had it. And they that, got that Nissan. That would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, so just, just to... Okay, go ahead, Scott. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm curious, uh, who of you have had read this issue before? I have. I only read I, it a couple of months yeah. ago when we were going to do this show. <laughs> I, I read the two Burn issues. I'd never read the Legion issues. I read them all when they came out. Yeah, I was just yeah, that was my next question. Is anybody anybody get this like off the rack when it came out type of thing? Yeah. No, this is my and first it, introduction uh, to the Legion for <laughs> The next the next issue, the Legion issue is the last Legion issue I read. I stopped right then. I was uh, gonna say one of one of the other things about this issue that uh stood out to me is that uh it, it reminded me of how much I love and hate Superdog Crypto. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last appearance of crypto from that continuity altogether. That's that's the crypto's final appearance until was that Superman Batman uh, series where they brought 
a crypto back that was like what supergirl's dog i i forget you know uh, no he, he i think he came back a, a little bit prior to that actually i think but I, I couldn't quote your rhyme and verse like what year what issue it was but I, I think he did come back first prior to kara coming back but if if that's to be the original superboy then this was the original crypto that appeared in adventure comics 210 back in 1955 so I've he's often older wondered, than Legion. Yeah, I've often wondered if Byrne was somehow channeling the earliest uh, incarnation, the earliest drawings of Crypto, because uh, Crypto in this looks very off-model to me. He, lo- he looks very strange. Um, but Crypto, when he first came along, looked really different than what he would eventually morph into. You know, the, the Crypto that that we collectively remember is is pretty different from how he first looked. He just had a, a, a kind of a, a weirder look to him. And, and this one of Burns seems to have that look as well. Kind of the, the big, um, almost like rabbit ears. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's very kind of cartoony. Yeah. Right, yeah, he's almost a Labrador, yeah. but I think it's a little more generic dog. It's, yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, the thing that ultimately really just turns me off to it is the super intelligence thing just doesn't fly <laughs> with me. Uh, you know, if they, if they had a, you know, I mean, dogs are intelligent creatures, so don't, you know, don't read this in, <laughs> into this too much. Uh, I love dogs, but they have a certain level and there's loyalty and there's intelligence and all that. But to, you know, to have thought balloons and he, you know, the things that it, it just, it's a bridge too far for me. Hmm. I, I feel you on that. And I totally agree with you. Um, I give it a big old pass in this story though, only because burn is being faithful to the trope. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I was no. I was expect half expecting Superboy to say have choke within every thought or word balloon, because that's <laughs> what it made me think of is that particular era where it seemed like every other word was choke, you know, in his thoughts right. at least. You know what I'm talking. Yeah, when they would get, anyway when they would get choked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little silly, but being a dog owner and lover, I, I have a, a soft spot for it too. So I got a kind of a kick out of it, even though I know it's even though intellectually I know it's kind of silly having a super intelligent Kryptonian dog that can chase uh, um, com- comets, comet? comets, comets, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, see, I, I love Crypto as a character, but... Just a bridge they, too far for me. Yeah, they would often take it too far with his intelligence and everything. I, I liked it when he was just simply a super-powered dog. You know, the, the dog that was able to to romp and play with Superboy, that, that's kind of a neat concept. Or follow yeah, and he could be a smart orders. dog. He can be yeah. a smart dog. I don't have any problem with that, but he should still be within a range of a dog. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. And and yeah, they did. They took it really ridiculously far to where he did in the comics have these thoughts, you know, these thought balloons and long, uh, uh, what do you call it? You know, dialogues, you know, in his own mind and everything. And, and he, he was humanly intelligent in the adventures that he would have and it it was yeah it was when you when you read it now it's it's pretty ridiculous but i loved it as a kid you know didn't they bring him back uh later when they other the the new superboy i think the one that came out of uh the death of superman didn't he get uh super dog he had a dog called crypto but it was i think was it was it just a, a regular dog, dog okay. I, I think i could be wrong 
uh, eventually, like way, way, way down the road, not not too long before um, Infinite Crisis and and mm-hmm. you know the the next reboot and everything, they did bring a crypto back into continuity and everything and that that's you know but that's toward that's at the far end of this superman's yeah. life so that's that's when this superman was, was really starting to to wane because too many the, you know too many barnacles are brought back yeah but wasn't there a super the chimp and a super horse at one time uh in pre-crisis there was a no beppo was a yeah beppo was a monkey right beppo yeah. was Beppo was a monkey. Yeah, there was a super monkey Beppo who actually was from Crypto. His his origin is very similar to Krypton uh, Crypto's. Um, Crypto and Beppo both wound up on Earth because Jor El had used them for test rockets, essentially. And they, and then there was Streaky, the super cat, which really (laughs) didn't have anything to do with Krypton or anything to, to my memory. Anyway, he, he gained his superpowers through exposure to Kryptonite X or some ridiculous thing. Um, (laughs) and then there was the super horse, which wasn't again, connected (laughs) to anything Kryptonian or anything. He was a centaur, I think. It was yeah. It's it gets really, but I mean yeah. There were a lot of super. I mean the 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 running gag is that eventually um, in the pre-crisis Superman lore, the only thing that died in the destruction of Krypton were Jor-El and Lara. <laughs> you know, everything else seems to have survived and made its way to Earth at one time or another. So yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I'm noticing as as I was sitting there looking at the one story and the other is that Superboy's S actually changes. I mean, in the previous issue, it was a normal S that that we're accustomed to see on Burn. It's just in that very first uh, one, the panel on page two where it looks more silver-agey. Right. And then, you know, the there's that really cool image of him standing there in the Kent's window. Yeah, I love that. On page 11. And... Um, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was looking at it, I was going, well, no, the S is normal like that. And every every other S, I think that first one was just like an aberration. I do find it interesting, um, you know, because they're talking about how much more powerful Superboy is than Superman. And yet Superman's actually able to hurt Superboy, you know, with, with one good punch. And, of course, we see that later on with the crypt, with Kryptonian villains that he in many ways could hold his own, but you know, they say he's nowhere near as strong as them, but he's apparently able to hurt them. Yeah. I, worse it, than hurt you. And uh, <laughs> to go back to our last episode, when we were talking about Timberwolf and block, and I did some other research on Timberwolf and he has near Superman, Superboy level strength. Right. Is what they said. So that's why he had much easier time than block. Even though Block is also a very super strong character, he's just that much more powerful. Which is just, I, I get it, but it's just something that, I don't know, just from appearances, it's hard to accept. Yeah, he was originally led to believe that he was an android and then found out, no, he was a real human. He was a real live boy. <laughs> and yeah, anyway, but that's that was just uh, all that from the, that was bubbled up in my head from last time. Paul, are, Paul, are you back away from your mic? Uh, yeah, actually, oh, okay. I, I slowly wandered a little further from it. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's slowly no, trying just, to leave the room. I, 
You know what? You know what? The last couple of months, I've had the the wireless headset with the microphone built in, but I haven't been happy with the sound for that. So I went back to the snowball. But I've gotten in the habit of just kind of wandering a little while I'm talking, not mm-hmm. you know, not leaving the room, but kind of like you know, sitting back sitting in the back, chair a yeah. little further. And yeah, yeah. So I, I need to to get used to speaking into the <laughs> snowball again. There's one other thing I wanted to point out, and that was on page seven. When they show the time trapper in his element, whatever you want to call it, I'm always expecting Marvin the Martian to walk up to him there. <laughs> there was no looks, room. Because <laughs> it looks like that that same kind of construct Marvin had in the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Right? It does. It does. <laughs> I prefer, I, I have to say, I, I when you get stuck into these weird, uh, you know, backgrounds and all, I prefer the Steve Ditko looks. That mm. that is my my weird background of choice. Yeah, that goes great. That is. Uh, I mean, let me ask about the time trapper here. Is his only beef with Superboy and the Legion is that they are traveling through time because he considers time to be his uh, his uh, domain. That seems to be the only his only motivation for wanting to kill them is that they've traveled through time. Is that it, or does he have something, or is he? I wish I could give you a better answer. It, it's it's so strange that I really, really like this guy as much as I do because I, I don't know why and I can never remember what the deal is with him because there have been multiple reveals of the Time Trapper over the years of who he actually is and I have trouble remembering any of them. I have trouble remembering exactly what his deal is, if we ever did learn exactly what his deal is. So uh, I'm just going to give you what my understanding is, is that, yes, his beef is that they're, you know, these kids are on his lawn, essentially. <laughs> that's, that's basically Ta- what it is. Time is his thing. <laughs> Yeah, time is his and, thing, and they've dared they've dared cross across his lawn, and so he's pissed, and he wants to kill them. That that's and, and as I was reading it, you know, I kind of got the whole, you know, he he went in, kind of got this pocket universe, and it was all part of his scheme, blah blah blah. But I never really quite understood what he's trying to get to. What purpose, other than you know, is is it just I'm trying to destroy the Legion? Is that I mean, was that his goal? It seems kind of petty. Uh, he he wants to, according to, I don't know if it's in this issue or the next issue, but he, he at some point he does say he literally wants to end time, which yeah. I don't know why that would ever be anybody's goal, because what what else is there? Because I, you know? I think if you well, end time... Well, it's kind of like then... Thanos wanting to, you know, court, courting death. Right? Well, no, I mean, but for the time trapper, time, you know, because you remember he says basically yesterday I was but an infant, you know, for him, it's like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. It's the same day over and over and over. <laughs> and he just wants it to end. So he's just a bored immortal then. Yeah. I think okay. it's more like the, uh, the the prophets on Deep Space Nine. Time is not linear to him. He, he experiences all moments of time at the same time. Yeah. So that's that why is I, kind of the impression I got as I yeah. read. Okay. You're like on, uh, on that same page you're talking about, Brian, or page eight, when he's kind of given his little story about creating the pocket universe and all that. And you see the, uh, at the bottom of page eight, where you see the rocket ship taking off. Burn has not drawn a burn tech rocket. He's drawn a rocket similar to what I guess would be, uh, you know, he's kind of honoring 
Yeah. The early Superboy stories or the Superman stories. He's drawn a very Flash basic. I want, exactly. I want to credit uh, that that particular depiction of the rocket. I want to credit to Neil Adams, and I'm not sure that's right, but that that seems right in my mind that he was the first one to depict it quite that way. But I could be wrong. Yeah, that's a little bit different from what like what Wayne Boring and the others had right, done. Right. Right. Yeah, but it still it, has that that. Flash Gordon aesthetic from the 30s. Yeah, yeah typically it would... Yeah, you're right. It would it would have a very retro, very Flash Gordon-y type of look in most of the depictions. But then in the 70s, um, it got more fins and little doodads like this one right here. And the little nose piece and all that. And, and it was sleeker. And... I remember distinctly seeing that in in you know the origins of Superman when when I was a kid. Like there's, uh, I don't know if the first time is in the, uh, it might be in that origin that's uh, depicted in uh, the Amazing World of Superman, the big oversize. And come to think of it, I don't think that is Neil Adams that did that. I, th- I want to say that's Kurt Swan and uh, and Murphy Anderson. There might be some Adams in there too, but I I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, for for some reason I, I don't know why it tickles my brain, but I always wanted to pick, I always want to credit this depiction of the rocket to to Neil Adams. But again, I'm not sure that's really right. And you know, it just occurs to me that based on the pocket universe and the way that he framed it, you know, Krypton and all that. That still means that Candor is out there with Brainiac, and uh, all the, the 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 parent the the people that went off into the escape zone, or um, Argo City, would still be out there. What does Brainiac exist in his pocket universe? Yeah, see, that's that's where things get really nebulous. Is you know what exists, what doesn't, because I, I have the feeling that the pocket universe was very insular. I mean, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if basically all that exists in that pocket universe is Krypton, you know, and, and earth essentially. Um, Cause that's, that's all he, that's all he needed. I think that's but all you'd still planned. have, you'd still have Argo city, which if you, if you remember Argo city was a full city that blasted off into space when Krypton exploded. That's right. where Kara's parents were. Supergirl's right. parents were. They but sent her off, and then they went to the I, I escape I guess it zone. depends on what exists. You know, what exists beyond the boundaries of that pocket universe. Is it mm-hmm. is it the antimatter wall? You know, waiting to to consume it. You know, so is it basically this little oasis in a sea of you know of this antimatter that that destroyed all the other multiverses? Because if it is, then there's nothing outside of that. So. Yeah, that that's the kind of stuff that's kind of fascinating to think about, and that's ultimately one of the reasons that this kind of doesn't work. Because okay, so so he's created this little pocket universe, and whenever the Legionnaires would would travel back in, or what they thought was traveling back in time to Superboy's era, they they would actually shunt into this pocket dimension. Okay, fine. You know, that explains Superboy, I, I, I guess. But then, how does that account for Monel? How would Monel make that... So Monel pops up in Superboy's time. 
gets projected into the Phantom Zone to save his life, exists in the Phantom Zone for a thousand years and pops up in the Legion time. Okay, that that's the classic origin of that character, except you're dealing with two distinct universes there. So how, at what point did he make that transition? And you got to remember that up until real close to the end of this incarnation of Superman, there was no Phantom Zone. This Superman did not have a Phantom Zone. The the pre-crisis Superboy and Superman did, but this Mm -hmm. post-crisis burn Superman, there was no Phantom Zone. So how did Mon-El wind up in the Legion time? You know, that that's never explained. That's never dealt with. It's kind of glossed over. And it's one of the reasons why Mon-El became a very problematic character post-crisis after this story. Same thing with Supergirl. If Superboy never grows up to become Superman, uh, you know, meaning that there's a break in the continuity between, you know, Superboy in his teens and, and Superman, then at some point because of that break all the stuff that followed never happens one of the things that never happens is kara never becomes part of the story so who the hell was supergirl and as we're going to see in the next story she's still being referenced so how does that work and that that's where more problems were actually yep. created that are solved. And that's the kind of stuff I find really fascinating. That's the, that, that's the that was, again, that was all editorial. They just, they didn't buy into it. Right. Well, well, I think it explains Superboy by him being in this pocket universe. But if we're to believe that yes, burn Superman and the Legion exist in what I'm going to call the prime universe. And when the Legion goes back in time, they're shunted to the pocket universe. That's fine. But for the yes. Legion to exist, they had to be influenced by Superboy, who didn't exist in that prime line because Superman never became Superboy. So how can they exist the to go back around. in time? It's like a predestination well, that's, paradox. Well, that's exactly why, according to Byrne, that's exactly why Superboy, the pocket Superboy, came to exist because the the, the Trapper realized that and said, "Oh, I've got a, I've got a." Well, I don't know if he thought so much. I've got to fix it as he's as he thought. I have an opportunity here. And so he created the very thing, I, I guess, that they... So, so the way I understand it, the way the way I, I interpret this story is that they were wrong. The Legion was wrong. They were inspired by something that never actually existed because it's a thousand years later and, you know, legend has become myth, essentially, with, with super Superman. And so... You know, it, it, there's that thousand year gap and, and memories are fuzzy and, you know, the details aren't all that clear. So they base themselves on the, the legend of Superboy, a character that never actually existed. And when they when Brainiac comes up with time travel, they decide well, they want to go back and meet him. They want to go back and recruit him into the team. And so they come back to do that. And that's where the time trapper seizes this yeah. opportunity to actually make it all real that, that works. that's my interpretation i could be dead wrong i find that incredibly convoluted it is but that uh, works if they were if they were kind of if, if like you said if they were being uh, inspired by some myth that they didn't know exactly what it was not that there was like a, not that they found a book that said yeah here's superboy he did all these great things then that works so that they're inspired by because we know superman existed in their timeline so I, i'll buy that right 
Right. It, it, it works well enough, I guess. And, and I, I can only guess that that this was kind of sort of somebody's idea all maybe burns i really don't know who to credit it to all i know is that burn thought of this before he ever put pen to paper to to write the the man of steel you know, the whole rebooting of superman he thought of this you know who's the legion what happens to the legion if i wipe out superboy if if i rewrite superman to where he never was superboy what does that do to the legion and he was literally told, just don't worry about it. We got it. So he didn't. You know, he, he did his job. He rewrote Superman and everything. And almost immediately it became a problem for everybody. Fans, DC, everybody of, wait, 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 wait. We, now we have to deal with this Legion problem, which pissed Burn off because he brought that to them. You know, so now he had to deal with it. And... Again, this burn, is burn you know, you're talking 30 story. years of trying to pick my memory of, of, you know, the sequence of events and the things that I read. But this is my understanding of the whole situation. So burn this. This is his solution is to base the Legion figuratively on the legend of Superman um, and, and their interpretation that at some point there must have been a Superboy rather than literally base it on that. And that's kind of where where this all comes from. That works, except when they they do this to where no 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 there there literally was a Superboy, and that's where things start to get a little bit cloudy. So you know, like I said, I, I love this story, I really <laughs> do. But I think it, in a lot of ways, I think they they created a, a bigger problem for themselves by trying to to do this than than really solving issues it, it kind of works and it kind of doesn't this is a real similar to when remember brian we when we covered omac and in that story also by burn he he plays kind of with time travel and alternate because he was trying to explain kirby's version of omac and his version and how one could have influenced right. the other so it's very similar kind of um yeah God, I haven't read that in decades, but I remember really loving it. I, I really enjoyed that. That was that was good stuff. But it's been forever since I've read it. Let's see. I do have a few notes on this. Um, we kind of jumped all over, but I wanted to go all the way back to the cover. People um, keep trying I, to uh, message me, so I keep muting myself. And I've been talking on mute for the last five minutes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, let, let me let me just say that uh, the Omac art is probably some of the best burn art we've ever seen. I think that as far as books yeah. go, that is perfect art, and especially having it in black and white, um, you know, does does so much for it. But uh, yeah, I'll shut up now. But you know what? You're you're, no, no, you're, I... you're embodying like the perfect podcaster because we all like to hear ourselves talk, and it really doesn't <laughs> matter who listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, th that's funny because I really like hearing you guys talk. It's like home. Aww. But, you know, I, I also know that over the past 15 minutes of what we discussed, you know, here in the future, when this gets posted, Bob Fisher is going to be talking to us. Not directly, just at whatever he's listening to us through. Mm -hmm. That is probably <laughs> correct. Yeah. But that's just an opinion. I could be wrong. Well, Bob could be wrong, too, but he's yeah. still going to talk to us. This Red's Wicked Sour Apple's getting to me now. <laughs> mm. Scott, you're talking I about... love the cover on yeah, this. Yeah, it's a great cover. I, 
I cannot believe in all these years that it's never been a poster or a t-shirt. I, I think this is one of the the iconic uh, Superman covers. I think this is one of Burns' iconic covers. I, I just I, I love this. I this uh, this has long been a favorite of mine. I remember seeing this when it was teased in the solicits and such. Um, you know that it was upcoming. Uh, you know this was actually they there's a I couldn't tell you where it got printed, but somewhere in DC comics, you know, to advertise this coming storyline, they had it in just the black and white in, in ads, you know, ad pages in, in different DC comics. And uh, I remember seeing it there for the first time and just, I mean, it just fired my imagination. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. And it, and it is, I think it's just great, but I, I love this cover really, really wish that, uh, that it was out there more, you know, it's, again, as a poster, a t-shirt or something would be great. I love the old geezer that's getting out of his truck with his shotgun in the background. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks never, he's going to do, but uh, it's great. <laughs> I never noticed that. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, and it just occurred um, to me, I, I goofed up last week when I was talking about the inking on that. I was talking about Leonard. I was talking about Arnie star. I kept thinking, I was thinking of Leonard star, not Arnie star. Because Arnie Star is just getting started, so forget right. everything I said last week. I was thinking of Arno Stark. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man twenty twenty. The year's over. Yeah, I know. It's twenty twenty one now. He's gone. He's done. Vapors. No more. Iron Man twenty twenty one. It doesn't sound as good. We got to make it more futuristic. So Iron Man thirty thirty. Take I us love a while. Page to uh, page three of this. Uh, I mean, I think the whole page is awesome, but that second panel of Superman holding his cape and, and ascending into the sky, yeah, that uh, looks real close to me. I, I think the if you ever see the the DVD cover to when they released the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoons on DVD, I think that artwork is a retouching of this, you know, in, in that, you know, Superman's actually smiling and, you know, he's very Christopher Reeve like, um, but it's basically this same pose, same body style and everything. I think really they just kind of tweaked the the face because here Superman's more doing a scowl, but uh, that, yeah, it looked like it looked art. like his face was an inked too heavy right uh, here. And of course, Byrne did all the figure inks, and Keith Williams did all the background inks. The background inks are pretty good. They are pretty. Detailed. They're solid. They the are book, nice, which yeah. is different from from Williams' other endeavors. So I was pleased with that. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that the the Cape Foo throughout this issue is freaking amazing because you've got two different capes, Superman and Superboys, that are different lengths. Yes. And he is so consistent with both of them, and his handling of both of them is really, really cool. Uh, I mean, the, the one thing that, that Byrne did was revolutionize cape dynamics in a comic, and this right here is just a great example of that. You're not going to give that credit but, to Todd McFarlane and Spawn? No, <laughs> it, it does beg the question. You know, the the they they do show on page like nine. Kind of like the, an origin, a mini origin. They show the rocket coming to Earth and crashing into Kent's and their Model T uh, finding him. And then they show Superboy, the eight-year-old Superboy, where he's got that tiny costume, a tiny cape. So did Ma Kent make vault multiple copies or did it just continue to stretch 
through the years. Yeah, it was spandex. The costume, <laughs> the costume would stretch, but mm -hmm. I think she did have to go back and and rework the the costume from time to you know, the like the cape, for example, from time to time to keep up with you know with his change in stature and all that. If if I remember right, I think that was I think that's explained at some point. Yeah, I you love feel, this, you look at Superman's the, the cape reference. on page ten. I'm sorry. But Superman's cape on page 10 is so huge, it covers him and Pete Ross. You don't tug on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's that's a great shot where, where Pete's helping him. I just I love the moon, you know, the lighting in the background and everything. That's great. That is really great. But I, I love that reference to, uh, you know, to Superboy, uh, you know, the eight-year-old Superboy taking off, you know, becoming Superboy for the first time. I love that that Byrne knew that and and actually incorporated that into the story because that is actually part of the lore. I remember, um, I don't know if it was the first time I ever read it, but I remember reading it in one of the um, Elia S. Megan novels. I, I can't remember if it's the first one, Last Son of Krypton, or if it's Miracle Monday, but it, it th that's referenced in there. You know that he was. It, it actually tells it in prose, you know, the the debut of Superboy as, you know, the, the eight-year-old. I, I just always like that. And so I, I like that, you know, man, Byrne really knows his stuff. He knows his history mm -hmm. on this stuff. So I thought that was cool. Now, you read Generations 2, right? Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. you had the, uh, the story of Superboy, his very first mission, in fact, where I think he went up against the ultra-humanite and then found... Uh, a young Bruce Wayne dressed up as the Flying Fox, right, right. But that was that was in generate. Yeah, definitely was in Generations Two, which they're they're getting ready to put out a full Generations omnibus. So we're going to get all of that mixed up together. Though I don't know That's... what order they're going to put all the stories in. It would be interesting if they put them in chronological. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that because I love Superman, Batman Generations, the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one I thought it was eh, and then I have the third one. I have never read it, so but I, I love the first one. I, I I hold that up as one of the best Superman stories of you know the past, however old that is now, thirty years, whatever, however yeah. old it is. But uh, it's a it's a damn good story. Is that nineteen ninety eight when it came out? I think yeah, I was, something like I was, that. Yeah, I was kind of flipping through because uh, I haven't. I've read. Version one and two. I haven't read three. I have it, but they he mentioned that when I was looking at some stuff on his uh, his page. He mentions because in that last either the, that was a twelve issue one, either issue eleven or twelve, he brings in Saturn Girl because he talks about not liking the Legion, but he brings her in for some reason. I just glanced at it and read it, but he has her in that story with a young Lois Lane and I think a young Lana Lang. Lang. Lana Lang. Yeah. yeah. Fact is, there's a couple pages from that still available on on uh, uh, the DOA site. So if you want to get some John Byrne original art, that's available out there still, hmm. and it's under it's under two hundred dollars per page. That's not bad. I need to get around to reading that at some point. But it's it's interesting what you were saying about you know possibly publishing, you know mixing the the, the narrative up and publishing the pages in chronological order as opposed to the way the story was published because uh mike bailey and i were going to cover that story at one point and actually we did record the first episode and i have no idea whatever became of the recording we we never finished doing it so the recording you know just never got 
processed and released. But well, finish we, Crisis first. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but we we actually had debated whether or not we wanted to to cover Generations in the, the in the order that it was published, or did we want to cover it in the in the chronological? Because you could do it either way theoretically, because it all tells the same story. Um, and we we to my memory anyway, we decided to do it the way that it was it was published and I like it better that way myself personally, but, but yeah, I, I highly recommend that if, you know, if the listeners have not read it, that's, that's a really, really good story. Um, I had a couple other notes real quick here. I was wondering if anybody else noticed page five when, so Superman has latched onto Superboy as Superboy, you know, bursts ahead and goes into the, the time stream Superman can't hold on, so he lets go, and he is thrown into the past, into Superboy's Smallville. Well, as he falls out of the sky, there's three, it goes thoom, 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 and I can't help but be reminded of Back to the Future. I, I thought that same yeah. thing, Scott. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Plus, he, he lands behind a billboard, just like Back to the Future, yeah, too, so yeah. I thought that was really neat. But what's uh, Pete Ross doing hanging around around that sign? It seems like he hangs out there all the time now. Right. <laughs> Pete well, Ross, he's where you need to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't he coming back from talking to the Legion that they took off? And he warned them that the other Legions I, went into Superboy's uh, house and didn't come out. Right. And so fresh night that he was right. There. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Because the the legionnaire didn't they land near the billboard? Yeah, they hid behind the billboard, and that's right. Okay, so yeah, that's why he's there. Yeah. His bike looks like a bike for a change. In yeah, this it does. Too. It looks much better than last time. It looked more like a motorcycle or something last time. Um, crypto. I think that's. Uh, let's see what else have I got here. No, I think that's pretty much all of my notes on this one. Oh, wait. No, no I did have one more. Um, so at the end of the story, there's one thing. And it, it's funny. This never really jumped out to me before, but it jumped out to me this time rereading the story. So at the end of the story, you know, everybody shakes hands. Everybody's friends again and everything. And uh, Superboy and the Legion are going to head off into the future to combat the time trapper and Superman wants to go with them, but Brainiac five turns him down and says, he basically orders Superman. He says, you're not coming with us. And the reason he gives here is both completely logical and makes no sense at the exact same time. So what he says is, uh, he says, we don't dare risk it. Superman. If the time trapper wins, you might be killed or trapped forever at the end of time. We can't let that happen. You belong in the 20th century, Superman. There is still so much for you to do there to make our time possible. Completely logical argument, and I completely agree with it. Except, isn't this the shit that they've been doing for like 30 years at this point with Superboy? So the, the reason this comes up for me is as a kid... There's, there's a great cover out there. If you ever get a chance to take a look at it, Adventure Comics number 379 has a cover by Neil Adams, and it's it's a great one, of the Legionnaires launching basically like a photon tube. It's, it's a clear tube with Superboy's corpse in it, 
and they're they're basically committing his body to the deep in space. Superboy has died on a mission. That's the cover. And I remember seeing that as a kid and it fired my imagination because I got to thinking, what if Superboy died while he was in the which, future which on one a was mission that? with the Legionnaires? Adventure Comics which? Uh, 379? 379, okay. I was looking at 329. And I don't recall that ever being addressed you know they would address other time travel issues like you know how come superboy doesn't you know retain the knowledge that he gains of the future you know when he's hanging out with the legion they would explain things like that but i don't remember them ever addressing the issue of what if something happened to him while he was hanging out with them and you got to remember that superboy wasn't quite as unique anymore by the time you get to the 30th century they're dealing with some cosmic level bad guys many of which weren't phased in the least by superboy his powers didn't really mean squat to some of the people that they battled because they were battling some really bad bad guys and i used to think about that all the time like aren't they risking their own existence by having Superboy hanging out with them and going on these dangerous missions and battling people that could kill him? And again, they never really seem to address that at all. It was just kind of par for the course. And here's Brainiac addressing that, that very thing, but doing it with Superman. And it's clearly just to keep Superman out of where this story is heading. So right. he can go off on, you know, into his adventure. They're, you know, they've they've come together. Now they're going to diverge again. But this reinforces. But I just I find it. As I say, this reinforces your theory that they are <clears throat> inspired by the legend of Superman, not necessarily Superboy, because he says, you know, you have to go back and be in the 20th century for our existence to be. So, that kind of reinforces what you were your theory. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Right. If he was, if he was, if they were. Uh, you know, inspired by Superboy, then that's already done. He's Superman now. It doesn't yeah. really matter anymore. But I, I think that there's evidence here that things have already changed. Time has already changed because Sunboy's mullet is gone. <laughs> <laughs> he fixed his hair. I, you know. <laughs> Maybe we'll blame the at last issue on Carl Kessel. I do think towards the end. It, oh, uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, page 20, when Superboy kind of breaks down and admits that, yeah, I wasn't really trying to defeat you. Uh, and then you get that little tear and he hugs Superman. That's a nice That's a nice three panels there. That if I was trying is, to beat is, you, I would have kicked your ass. <laughs> well, that, that hug is really, you know, bizarre. I mean, when you sit there and think that X-Men Days of Future Past, you know, the very end when... Kitty's mind is leaving the older body and going back that, you know, Claremont wrote it in that she gave herself a little kiss and people call that an incestuous lesbian kiss, which is completely ridiculous because they haven't jumped on this as being, you know, incestuous, you know, homosexual hug. That's not, you can, it's uh, like, you can, it's no different than like hugging your younger brother or hugging your son or something like that. I know that. I know that. I'm just <laughs> right. pointing out the hypocrisy of these well, readers. Right. I'm also like three quarters of the way through this red, wicked sour. <laughs> we better move on quick, or I'm going to go quickly downhill. 
Yeah, well, we have that, a whole other show to record. Yeah, 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 get moving. That's all now, I've the, got on this one. Now, the, there's a couple things, of course, to bring about. Is you know the 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 there is on page was at 19 a data dump, a huge data dump. So so much so that there's no background. It's just Superman and and Superboy and Pa Kent standing there, and there's you know like. This would make any letter go, good God, I need a vacation. Because <laughs> it is one of Burns' huge data dumps there. And then um, the last page is like two-thirds page of artwork and then a Superman symbol. And I'm assuming that in the original version, and I've got the original version here. Let me just go back to the end. Oh, oh yeah. Wait, it was, that yeah. was... It's, yeah, that was the next a issue for the next issue. Yeah, because it was a good shot of Big Barda, and it didn't leave you know put in there that there's going to be porno, but still, it's got <laughs> a nice picture of Big Barda there, and it's John Byrne after Jack Kirby, 1971. Huh, cool. But that's if you're reading the uh, the actual comic. I'm looking at a scan of that, but I also had the the Man of Steel trade paperback, which is what I've been looking at. Because the the coloring and everything is so much superior than the uh, the original scan, but the scan looks to be about twenty years old. So there's a lot of uh, artifacts and whatnot in it. So, do we want to grade this? Sure. Since we're doing it back to the bin style, Scott, would you like to uh, start off? Absolutely. I will start. All right. So the cover on this, um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. The cover is an A+. I think this is one of Burns' best covers ever in his entire career. Um, I, I love it. I think it's an incredibly dynamic image, and it just totally fired my imagination seeing it for the first time as a kid. I'm like, I have got to read this. I've got to see what this is all about. I, I love the perspective of it. Uh, I think it's great. I used to have kind of an issue with Superboy's face, um, but I, I've come to really like it because I, I, I think that Byrne is is doing a really cool thing here where he's uh, making him look like a younger Superman, but he's also making him uh, a distinct character too. They, they are distinct enough from each other that you can tell, uh, you know, that one is... Uh, you know the pre-crisis, and one is the, the you know the current day, and I, I think that's cool. That's that's a really tough type of thing to pull off, but I think he does it really really well. So yeah, I love this cover. Um, interior art, I have to admit, I do think the art takes a, a little bit of a step down. Not a lot, but a little bit of a step down in this issue from the prior uh, chapter that we looked at, Superman Volume Two Number Eight. Um, I think that's because the prior issue was uh, was inked by Kessel, which uh, I, I really do think that he's uh, quite possibly Burns' finest inker. Um, you know, there was the we had the debate, you know, whether it was him or Austin. I, I love Austin too. It's really hard to decide. I like Keith Williams. I'm not nuts about Keith Williams, and I really don't like Burn inking Burn. I never have. Um, I never think that he he services himself well uh, when he inks himself. And, and I think this issue is kind of a, a good example of that. Um, it's, it's funny, though, because usually when Burn inks Burn, uh, he doesn't do a very good job in the sense of it, it looks unfinished. This is completely the opposite. It's way too thick. 
Um, everything's very thick to a point that some of the art's uh, a little muddied up by the heavy inking. Um, so it's, that's very strange in that aspect. Um, but there is a lot of it that really looks awesome as well. Um, again, you know, the, the page where, um, Pete Ross is helping Superman to the house. That's, it's beautiful, especially that second panel. I, I love the panel of, of Superman just kind of looking at Pete. Um, that's a great panel. And there's some other really good, you know, when Superman gets knocked into the sky by Superboy, that's a great panel. Um, most of the fight looks really awesome. So, I mean, the art's really up there. Um, it's not that far off from the prior issue, but just, just a little bit of a step down. So I'm going to say just an A, um, on the art and then story-wise, um, I think with the exception of the time travel, uh, time trappers explanation, uh, I think it's, it's great. I think it's a, a near perfect, uh, issue, uh, you know, storytelling wise, cause it's exciting it moves things along, it answers questions, uh, and it nails the characters. So even if you don't like, uh, you know, the trope with Crypto the Superdog, which I- I'm not crazy about it, I think it's goofy, but it's in character. It's it's part of what they're, you know, th- what they're homaging, essentially. So it works on that level, and it's fun. And I, I think it's a really fantastic issue. So, you know, writing-wise, uh, I'm, again, I'm going to knock it down just a bit for the, that Time Trapper thing uh, and give it just an A. Um, but overall, I think, you know, again, I think this is greater than the sum of its parts. As an overall issue, as an overall grade for the whole thing, I'm going to give it an A+. I think this is one of the finest Superman stories ever told. I really do. Paul? Paul? You there? Did yes, I sorry. I was oh. muted. I, I, pulled, I pulled a brilliant. Uh, uh, you know i gotta give it f's all around oh i just this 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 issue sucked (laughs) no i i think the cover is i i gotta agree it's pretty iconic i think it's an us cover i think it's you know it's up there with with you know so many other great covers but you know they are great and that that's what gets a pluses the interior art, I'm not going to be, I, I, I'm also going to give it an A, but I don't feel as harsh on it as you are, Scott. I feel like you were, uh, I don't, I don't really think it looks as muddy as, as you're saying. Uh, I often find when burn, uh, inks burn, it looks to me like he's too enamored with his pencils and he doesn't want to change it. He doesn't want it to look different when it's inked. Uh, you know that that's what it always feels like right. to me. Like like you know, so you, you you know your comment that it looks a little unfinished. I agree with because it looks you know it looks too close to the pencils. It doesn't look like it's embellished the way it should be. Uh, here I you know I do feel like he kind of completed the job. Uh, I don't think he's his best inker, just the same. But I do think he did a good job here. So I'm going to say the same grade as you in A, but I think I'm saying it with more of a positive than you did. Uh, the sto- story-wise, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I just keep coming back to, in my mind, is this the Superboy we grew up with, or is this, uh, you know, is this the, the Heroes Reborn Superboy? And if it's the Heroes Reborn Superboy, it almost like it drops it for me to a level. Because, you know, like we talked about, to take some fictional character, you know, to take take a character and just write his demise kind of thing is, is not 
nearly as interesting as as writing the ongoing adventures of, or it's not nearly as challenging. Uh, I liked the whole aspect of it where he was holding back that he wanted to be defeated. Uh, the time trapper's explanation just kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. But, you know, I, overall, I thought it was good. I'm going to say A's all around. And I think it's an A book. I don't know if I'm going to give it an A+. plus. I think I'm just giving it a regular A. All right, Tim. All right, I'll go. Uh, well, I'm going to make it a, a three-peat here. I think the cover is pretty iconic, and it's pretty good. So I'm going to give it an A+. Plus. Uh, inside art, I... I can't agree with Paul. I didn't notice quite as much of a difference between this issue and the previous one. Uh, and I, I do agree with both of you that when he inks himself, usually it looks a little muddy and thick. But I well, keep it. Keep in mind, and all of you keep in mind, is that he only inked the figures in this. He didn't ink the backgrounds. Keith Williams did all the backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I didn't pick up on right. that the way I would. Like A lot of Alpha Flight to me looks that way, where he's inking himself and it looks a little heavy. Heavy-handed, but I didn't notice that as much here. Um, I thought it looked pretty clean uh, and pretty good. You know, I think it looked pretty finished. So I'm giving the the inside art uh, an A because I like the, some of the fight scenes. I you know I like the design of Crypto, even though it is kind of goofy. Uh, and for the story, I give it. I'm not as high as you guys on it. I think mostly mostly because I'm not I'm not invested in the Legion because I really have no experience with them. So I think that's why the story for these issues we're covering is a little lower for me only because I'm kind of coming at it as, as a stranger, but I'm going to give the story a good solid B plus because it does, it does track well. And yeah, it is a little confusing when you, it, it's a kind of story that makes sense when you think about it, but when you really start to think about it, you get a lot of questions. So if you just kind of stop it, yeah, on the surface, that seems to make sense. So I think overall I'm going to give it a good solid A. Cool. Cool. Uh, I'm right there with you guys on the cover. That The cover is definitely an A+. Uh, it's everything you want in a comic book cover. And, of course, being John Byrne to boot, that's just awesome. Uh, as far as the, the, the story goes, I'm going to give the story actually a B. And it, it's, a, it's an unfair B. If it, if it had been, when I, when I read it at the time, I gave it an A. You know, that was it, it was an A. But seeing what's happened to it afterwards, the next issue and over the years, it, it kind of, you know, doesn't look as good. And so the story gets a B as a result of that. Now, as far as the art goes, when you, when you know that uh, the, the, the pencils, of course, were burned, the figure inks were burned, and then the background inks were Keith Williams, what you find is that Williams did not embellish he simply inked. And so that there are a lot of, you know, pages or, or images where there's nothing in the background and he didn't add anything to it, which kind of, I think, gave it a little, uh, it, it, it kind of hurt it a little bit. But I'd only take it to an A- minus on the art. So still, all together, uh, cover story and art, it's going to get an A. And that's my thoughts there. Well... Does anybody have any last thoughts here before we uh, adjourn and go over to the Back to the Bin studio? I want everybody to take off their shoes before you come in the studio. I just cleaned the floors. <laughs> I took off my pants. Does that, does that count? Oh, God, no. I, I, 
to what the court order said they are to remain on at all times if uh, you're within 500 yards of the studio. Uh, <sighs> or is that 500 yards of you, Paul? Either way. Dear God, Scott, turn <laughs> off your camera. God, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> now you can never unsee it. Yeah. Just ask Mrs. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. Shots fired. I heard Mrs. Gardner this week. Apparently I was listening to an older episode and you got her to talk. That was only one time, That's a rarity. Yeah, that's... Oh, wow, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's gotta be an old episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I think at this point we will adjourn and you will come see us very, very soon where we will continue and complete... This story with uh, Legion of Superheroes, is it 38? Volume 3, number 38, yes. Volume 3, number 38. Please look for us in the next Back to the Bins. And, uh, of course, uh, I'll tell you everything else you need to know about Third Degree Burn in just a moment. The Adventures of Super Pop. Faster than the speediest jet. More powerful than the mightiest rocket. Able to fly around the world faster than you can say Super Pup. Yes, that's Super Pup. And only you and I know that Super Pup is really barked in. Star reporter for the Daily Bugle. Wow! Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.